Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today. The next eight CIC messages that we'll be bringing you were taught by Pastor Eric Dauma of Gospel of Grace Fellowship. The title is The Tale of Two Cities, The World Builds Babylon. So here is part one. And so I want to begin today by talking a little bit about my agenda, show you where we're going to be going. And I want to give every person listening to me today really a biblical worldview as to how God rules and ordains his created order. My claim and contention is that the move to global system of governance is really a move by global elites, Marxists, to bring us to a one-world order. And this one-world order, as I mentioned earlier, is really a contradiction against the way God has ordained his rule, which is multiple borders, multiple nations, multiple boundaries. What we're going to find today is that the building of Babylon is a usurping of the way God has ordained his rule over his creation. Now, let me begin with week one. That's today. What are we going to cover here today? Well, we're going to be looking at Babylon of the past, and we're going to be answering the question, why do borders matter? We're going to examine how the Babylon in the Old Testament was really designed by Satan to rebel against God's rule of multiple nations, multiple borders. But we're also going to see that we need to preserve, as the people of God, the way that God has ordained his rule. We need multiple nations for the restraint of human evil. Now, second week, that's next week, we're going to look at Babylon of the future, and we're going to answer the question, what does life look like in future Babylon? And specifically, we're going to learn that Babylon will literally be rebuilt. It'll be a city rebuilt on the Euphrates River, and it will be the future headquarters of the Antichrist in the last seven years of history. Now, this question, what does life look like in Babylon, you're going to see that it's very bleak. When the globalist elites get their way and they have a one-world system, it's not going to lead to heaven on earth, but rather hell on earth. It's going to be very bad. Now, the final week, this will be week three, hopefully we can fit it all in. We're going to be looking at the false religion of Babylon and answering the question, why does rejection of God lead to death and destruction on the earth? Brothers and sisters, Babylon is being built. It will be built one day. And again, I don't know if it's going to take five years, 50 years, 500 years. We don't know the timing. But we know that human beings long to build a rule over this world that's autonomous from God. One in which mankind saves himself apart from Jesus Christ. And so that's what this is all about. I want to begin by telling you that the battle of Babylon is ultimately about who God is. Who is God? That's the real question we're going to be wrestling with here this morning. You see, the original fight in the Garden of Eden was about who God is. Remember Satan tempted Adam and Eve to be like God? He said, you won't die if you eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but you will be like God knowing the difference between good and evil. Those who build Babylon, they want to be like God determining for themselves how they will live and how they will rule. But they're going to be opposed by the most powerful one in the universe, the creator of all things, Yahweh, the God of the Bible. 
So that's really what Babylon is about. It's about who is God. And so mankind, I'm going to go from right to left. Mankind is going to build a kingdom. The kingdom was Babylon. They did it in the past. They're going to try to do it again in the future. Babylon is a real city. As you'll see, it's going to be a real kingdom. But God is going to throw it down, and he is going to build Jerusalem. That's where his headquarters for his kingdom will be. I want you to see another contrast. Another contrast is man's kingdom, Babylon, is built by human works, whereas God's kingdom is built by grace, the unmerited favor of Jesus Christ and his power. That's a contrast that you and I have to see. Third contrast, Babylon is not going to lead to peace, but rather chaos. In fact, in Isaiah 24.10, Babylon is referred to the city of chaos. Everyone remember Genesis 1-2, where it says the earth was formless and void? The term formless there, tohu in Hebrew, is the same term that's used of Babylon in Isaiah 24.10. It's not going to lead to this one beautiful world order with peace and prosperity for all. When Babylon is built, it's going to lead to chaos in warfare. Now contrast that with order that Jesus Christ will bring. When he comes, his rule will bring peace and prosperity. In fact, it says in Isaiah 2.4 that the nations will one day beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, and no longer will they learn war. That's because the Prince of Peace will be reigning. Another contrast, death and eternal life. Those who build Babylon bring death, both physical and eternal, but Jesus Christ brings eternal life for all those who believe. The final big contrast is every kingdom has a king. The king over this new one world order isn't going to be anybody good. It's going to be the Antichrist ultimately. And we'll be looking at the future of that next week. But the one who reigns over Jerusalem and will establish it forevermore is the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of all things. Now, I want you to see some good news right in the beginning here. This is a passage I'll expound on more next week. But the good news is that we know Christ's kingdom wins. Babylon will be thrown down. Jerusalem will be established. And we see this in Revelation 18.21. It says, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. That's the good news. But I want to show you here how this Babylon system first began. How did Babylon become the dominant city of rebellion against God? Now, when I say it's the dominant city of rebellion, what I would like to claim is that Babylon is the prototypical enemy of God. You know, we think of the the Vikings. We have a rivalry with the Green Bay Packers. And so we may have a rivalry with Detroit a little bit and with Chicago, but the prototypical enemy of the Vikings are those nasty Green Bay Packers. (laughs) If we beat them, it's like winning the Super Bowl. I'm content all year. We beat them once, that's good enough for me. In the same way, there's a lot of enemies of God, whether it's the Edomites or Egypt, but there's one that sticks out through the whole Bible, and it's Babylon. I'm going to show you why that is. It really begins in Genesis 1.28, where God gave a command to humanity to disperse and fill the world. Let me explain where. Genesis 1.28. Now, remember here, God has created man and woman in his image, mankind. 
And we are image bearers. We're the pinnacle of his creation. And listen to what he says. He says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, in our third session, I'm going to spend some time, I'm going to pull my pointer, talking about this right to subdue the earth. We as human beings who are made in God's image have the right to have dominion over the earth. That means we can use resources. We'll talk about that. But for our purposes this morning, I want to focus on this command to fill the earth. The Hebrew term there, malay, to fill, means just that. In fact, it's used in Genesis 21 for Hagar filling her canteen with water. It's a lamb skin canteen that she filled. In the same way, humanity is to fill the entire earth. That means we are to disperse and the ultimate goal is to have many people, many nations, many borders. But what you're going to see happen is that at Babylon, the very first building of Babel, all the nations disobey this command and they come together for a one world order so that they can usurp God, so that they can can become idolaters who choose which gods they will follow and determine for themselves what is good and evil. So that's the first command that I want you to see that ends up being disobeyed. Now, where do we see that? Well, we see it when we get to Genesis chapter 11. So think we have have this rebellion right away in the garden, but we have another rebellion that happens in Genesis 11 after the flood. And so we pick it up here in Genesis 11, verses 1 through 2 and verse 4. It says, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Let me stop there. Shinar is the land of the Chaldeans. It's Mesopotamia. It's where you and I would find modern-day Iraq. That's where it is. And it says, They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name, otherwise... We will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, dear ones, notice here in blue, notice on the screen it says they settled there. That's in rebellion against God in Genesis 1.28. He wanted them to disperse to fill the whole earth. But instead, all of humanity comes together and they settle in a one world order in rebellion against God. Now, what do they do when they settle and they don't disperse? Well, we're tipped off by what their attitudes are towards God, by what they build. First of all, notice they build a tower. Now, the tower that they build, I think, is very instructive for what these people were doing. The tower, more than likely, was what's called a ziggurat. And a ziggurat, what that is, is the ancients believed it was a go-between between earth and heaven. And so it was their contact point with the gods. And I mean gods, small g, the angelic realm. And so by them building this tower, the ziggurat, it shows that they weren't content with the creator who had given them life and all things. They wanted other gods. This is where they became idolaters. And they wouldn't accept the rule of Yahweh in their life. That's what they're doing. So they're rebelling against him in that way. Now, I also want you to notice, though, that they also build what? They build a city. So this wasn't just the Tower of Babel. This was Babylon the first city. 
And as you're going to see, Babylon throughout all of history represents and is literally in rebellion against God. They built themselves a city. Now, notice what they want to do. They say, let us make a name for ourselves. That's why they build the city. That's why they build the tower. What's the problem with that? They just want to make a name for themselves. Well, it shows human arrogance. Because in the scriptures, when you unpack Genesis to Revelation, our design goal as human beings created in the image of God is to bring God a great name, bring glory to his name. In fact, God says in Jeremiah 32, 20, that he made himself a great name by his wondrous deeds and miraculous actions at the Exodus. We think about in, when you get to Genesis chapter 12, just hold on to this, we'll come to it in a couple of weeks. In Genesis chapter 12, God starts over with a new humanity. Because these people here had a rebellion against God, a one world order, and they wanted the other gods, they wanted the angelic realm. In Genesis chapter 12, God starts over with a new humanity. He's going to start over with Abraham, and Abraham's going to have Isaac, and Isaac is going to have Jacob, who was whom? That's Israel. And Israel has 12 sons, and out of those 12 sons comes Judah, and out of Judah comes David, and out of David comes the Messiah. And if you trust in this Messiah, you're part of this new humanity who's going to give glory and give a great name to God. And so that's why God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great name. Look it up in Genesis 12 too. It is the opposite of this boast. Humanity in building Babylon is going to make themselves a great name. But God, you see, does it for his people by his grace, not by human works, by being attached to the Messiah that comes from Abraham. That's how God answers the idolatry, ultimately, by bringing the Messiah who will rule from Jerusalem and throw down Babylon. It's all tied here right in the very, very beginning. Now, let me come and show you how God disperses man at the visitation here in Genesis 11. Notice what it says, Genesis 11, verse 5 and verses 7 through 8. It says, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Come, this is God, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Dear ones, what we have in this text is what's called a visitation of God. Uh, Bob DeWay has talked about this as well. When there's a visitation of God, he either judges or he visits unto salvation. Let me give you some examples. In Genesis 18, God visited Abraham. Do you remember reading that? Well, remember, the one who visits Abraham, I believe, is the second person of the Trinity, the pre-incarnate Christ. And he visits Abraham announcing salvation because from Abraham is going to come a son miraculously through a woman who can't bear children. She's too old. And so that's the plan of salvation. So salvation is announced at the visitation of Abraham. But fast forward to the New Testament. There's another visitation of God, Jesus Christ comes riding into Jerusalem in Luke 19. It's a visitation of God. Jesus is God. Truly God, truly man, visiting his people. And yes, some do believe, but the vast majority don't, and Jesus knows it. And that's why, remember, in Luke 19, 44, 
He prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem. He says, not one stone will be left upon another because you didn't recognize what? The time of your visitation. So here, God is visiting the people who are in rebellion. And this visitation is a form of judgment. In fact, when it says the Lord came down to see, I want you to understand that that's what we call an anthropomorphism or a manism. It's a way of speaking so that you and I can understand what God was doing. Let me give you another example of an anthropomorphism. Isaiah 40, I think it's verse 12 if I recall. It says that God measures all the waters with his hand. Now, does God have a physical hand like you and I do? No, he's spirit. So the point of the text is, yes, God knows all the waters. He measured them out. And it's using language that you and I can understand in the same way Because God is omnipresent, he's everywhere, and he's omniscient, he knows all things, the point of him coming down to see is for our purposes, that this was an inspection by God. And so what does he do? Well, he's going to confuse the languages there so that he can disperse and make them fill the world. And so that's where we get the term babble. If someone is sounding incoherent, which I've done a time or two, you say they're babbling. They're just babbling on and on. Well, that comes from God's confusion of the languages. Now, notice here the purpose and the result of him doing so. Notice in blue, in verse 8, it says, So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Notice in blue, what did God do? He made them obey Genesis 1.28. That, in fact they would fill the earth. He thwarted them by confusing the languages. No longer could they have their one world order. But isn't it interesting, if I were writing this, I would say they stopped building the tower. But Moses, who wrote this, inspired by the Spirit, says they stopped building what? The city. The city is emphasized, ironically, not the tower. Why? Because this is the first Babylon, the city of man that's built in rebellion against God. And all the way through the scriptures, the Old Testament, and even one day in the future, mankind is going to build Babylon in rebellion against God again. And God will throw it down again. And so I want you to understand that this building of a city is really the dream of all of mankind to have a kingdom... That's apart from his gracious rule. You see, Jesus Christ is going to bring us a city, Jerusalem. But humanity wants to build a kingdom apart from him. And that's what the city really represents. Babylon is man's kingdom apart from God. Now, I want you to see how the Tower of Babel incident becomes a type for Babylon throughout the rest of Scripture. Let me explain why. In Genesis 11.9, there's a summary. It says, therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. I want you to see here that the term Babel, if you look that up in your English version, the term in Hebrew is Babel, but in your English version, if you look in your Bible, it'll be rendered Babel only twice, right here in Genesis 11.9 and earlier in Genesis 10.10, where Nimrod was the founder of of the city. 
Now, you might say, well, big deal. Well, it's, it's a very big deal because the term Babel occurs 260 more times, but it's always rendered Babylon. So when you're reading your Bible in the Old Testament, you read Babylon, it's Babel, the very same term that's used for Babel. Why? Because it's linking you to when Babylon exists as a kingdom and a city, it's in rebellion against God. That's what Babylon represents all the way through the entire Old Testament. So whether it's Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar, the kingdom of Babylon is the prototypical enemy of God. Who sacks the Israelites in 586 and brings them into captivity? The Babylonians. The dispersion of the Jews happened at the hands of the Babylonians. You'll also see, by the way, Babylon used 12 times in the New Testament. But its root is designed to bring us back to the Tower of Babel and that very first rebellion that happened there when all of mankind wanted to make a name for themselves. Apart from God's grace, all by human works. Now, what I want to do is I want to talk about how God ordains many nations. I'm going to show you some divine commentary here on Genesis 11. In other words, God explains further what he did there. And now you're going to see that he created multiple nations with multiple borders. We see that in Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, often called the Song of Moses, here's where we find this divine commentary and what God did further at the Tower of Babel episode. Deuteronomy 32, 8 through 10. It says, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted heritage. He found them in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled them. He cared for him. He kept them as the apple of his eye. First thing I want to point out in this text is notice God is referred to as the Most High. It's the only time in the entire book of Deuteronomy that he's referred to as the Most High. Why? Because here, God's sovereignty over all of the nations is being accentuated. Now, notice here there's two different inheritances that are being talked about. The first inheritance is the inheritance of the nations. Now, when were the nations given this inheritance? After they're dispersed at Babel. After they're dispersed. Now, what was their inheritance? Well, notice they were given borders. They were given nation status. But notice their borders, their boundaries, multiple, were fixed according to the number of the sons of God. Now, the sons of God are what? They're the angelic beings. It's God's divine counsel. The angelic beings that are both good and wicked angels. What we would refer to as angels and demons. So God took all the nations and he orders them, their inheritance, under the angelic realm. Why? Because they built a tower into heaven. That's what they wanted. They didn't want God. They didn't want him. They wanted the other God's small g. And so God says, if that's what you want, then so be it. That's what you get. And he hands them over to the sons of God, to the angelic realm. But yet God takes one inheritance as well. And his inheritance, by the way, it's the same term that's used here, except this is the noun form, this is the verb. But notice God's unique heritage or inheritance is what? It's one nation. It's Jacob. 
So all of the nations belong to the angelic realm. They're pagans. They belong to the gods. They're idolaters. They get what they want. But there's one nation that God gets. That's why he starts over in Genesis 12. He takes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob is called whom? Israel. There's one nation that's the inheritance of God. And that's Israel. It's not the United States. It's not Germany or Bolivia. One nation belongs to God. That's where his kingdom will be forevermore. And that's Israel. That's the new humanity he started over with. But for our purposes this morning, what's exceedingly important is notice God fixed multiple borders, multiple nations. Not one nation, not a one world order, but he gave us multiple nations with multiple borders. And that was his gracious act in limiting the evil inclinations of humanity. Think of this analogy. We all know that Adolf Hitler was a pretty wicked man. In 1939, when he rolls over Poland, it started the process where other nations were able to arm up. And before he took over the entire world, other nations that are pagan under the angelic realm were able to pound him back into submission so that his evil wouldn't flourish over the whole world. And you could say the same thing about Tojo in Japan. So because there were multiple nations, multiple borders, multiple armies, we could pound these evil evil rulers back into submission. But let's just for a moment pretend that Adolf Hitler is the only ruler on the planet. And there's only a one world system. Who's going to pound them into submission? No one. That is the risk of a one world order. That's why God ordained multiple nations multiple borders. That is precisely what is under attack in our day. What you and I have witnessed in the last few months with this election is a complete paradigm shift where the world is starting to shift from multiple borders, multiple nations to a one world order. That's their desire. And just as it didn't work out so hot at the first episode in Babel, Babylon, It's not going to work out so hot in the future as well. That's what the battle is all about. You've been listening to Pastor Eric Dauma. Please be sure to come back next week for part two of this message, where we'll examine the situation in today's world and show how the desire for a one world system and nations without borders is an immoral desire and is contrary to what God has ordained. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website, cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Kramus, and you are listening to Pastor Eric Dauma. We will see you next week.